Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivaglani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Dan Weberg, who's the head of clinical innovation for Trusted Health, an online platform for travel nurses to find jobs and build career skills. Dan began as a nurse in emergency medicine and later earned a PhD in healthcare innovation leadership, a subject he's written about and taught for many years. Trusted has a special focus on mental health and nursing, so we'll be asking Dan about that, the general impact of COVID-19 on the healthcare workforce, and the future of healthcare education. In addition, we also share an investor with Trusted, Felicis, and I'd like to thank Nikki over there for making the introduction to Trusted. So thanks so much for being with us today, Dan. Yeah, thanks for having me, Shiv. It's great. So you wear a lot of different hats, and I know our audience, uh, a lot of them are in nursing, would be very interested how an emergency medicine nurse became in a position you are right now. So can you tell us a bit more about your background and what led you to pick nursing as a career and then go into healthcare innovation? Yeah, I mean, I I picked healthcare because I was sitting in an economics class at Arizona State University um, trying to figure out supply and demand and um, just like couldn't wrap my head around sitting in a cubicle doing business forever and kind of reflected on what I liked in high school and I loved anatomy class. And so I went full on pre-med and I started doing all the OCHEM and all that kind of stuff. And and as I got into that, they said, well, you need a backup if you're going to go to medical school. Not everyone gets into medical school. And I chose nursing as a backup, not really knowing what nursing was. And over the, the years that came after that, I actually kind of dropped the pre-med stuff and got really into the idea of nursing and got into the program and, and fell in love with the profession. Went to UCLA as an ER nurse and taught myself how to program the simulators that we use to train nurses now when I was in nursing school. And so that was kind of my catalyst into technology. Uh, I was actually hired back to Arizona State to help build their simulation center as that started ramping up as a new training modality. And that really got me into the innovation world. ASU then created a master's in healthcare innovation program. I applied to it thinking I was going to build the next simulator and build a whole business around simulation. I quickly found out it was a leadership degree and uh, fell in love with this, the science of how change happens within healthcare and, and organizations. And when I was finishing up that master's, they said, hey, we created a PhD in the same content. We need people to apply. So I was like, oh, sure. You know, I was, I was actually teaching at ASU. I was going to get free tuition. So I was like, oh, I'll apply for it. Sure. A PhD sounds great. I was the only student that got in the program. Uh, for the innovation side of things and got one-on-one mentorship for uh, about five and a half years with Tim Porter Grady and Kathy Malachur, some really big uh, nursing leaders, and just kind of bounced around just trying to lead change in different ways and uh, went over to Ohio for a little while and helped uh, Ohio State Wexner Medical Center build out their nursing education facilities and and orientation and things for their medical centers. And then Kaiser came calling um, randomly through a random network. And I was able to get a job there as the director of nursing innovation and, and got deep into startups and technology, finally rounding out my time at Kaiser helping build their medical school, which was amazing. I was the only nurse on the team at the time and helped build it from a post-it note all the way up through its opening. Uh, It opens next month with its first class with a focus on interprofessional education, some of the simulation and technology stuff. So for me, it's always been, you know, my career has always been, if there's a cool opportunity, it's more saying yes to that and just seeing where it takes you and never really having that much of a plan to have like a certain role. And then I had an opportunity to be trusted as always helping Kaiser in their investment arm uh, their venture capital arm and met Matt from Trusted and 
uh, had a great conversation. I was looking for a change and Trusted was growing quickly and they would just close their Series A at the time and um, was able to jump over and have been with the team since September, really trying to disrupt the nursing workforce, which has been really fun. We know some innovators at different health systems. Uh, we work with LifeBridge Health out in Maryland, and uh, one of our best supporters and partners there is a, a radiologist named Dr. Daniel Durand, who you may have crossed paths with. What does an innovation leader do at a health system? It's different everywhere. I think uh, there's no idealized kind of innovation leader. There's kind of a couple buckets of it. So academic medical centers tend to see innovation more as turning uh, research into products or commercialization. And so what I've found at, at you know, Ohio State and some other big medical centers uh, that are associated with academic, it's really about that commercialization pathway. UCSF does the same thing. Uh, and, and I advise for their Catalyst program where they actually fund researchers to commercialize their stuff. So that, I think that's one bucket of innovation. Then there's the large kind of health systems like the Kaisers, the Intermountains, that kind of stuff. There, it's a lot of testing uh, new ideas and working with partners like startups to kind of see where the trends of technology are going and testing those out within their big system to see if they can optimize and get better. Uh, and then a lot of it is around partnerships, like trying to figure out, you know, how do they partner better with even the big companies like the Apples and the Googles to actually do some sort of bleeding edge type of, of change. So I think those are kind of the two buckets. And then there's like the, the self-made kind of innovation leaders that are in an organization. Innovation sort of kind of been tossed around at the executive level. So they create this kind of side role or, or it's a portion of a role that already exists. And there people are just trying to figure it out. So they're doing a lot of design thinking or user-centered design work, or they're trying to mesh their performance improvement team into, into some internal process improvements. And so those three buckets of kind of what I've seen across the board as far as innovation leadership goes. That's a really helpful framework. I've definitely seen that popping up more on LinkedIn's and um, wasn't sure exactly what different people are doing. So moving into Trusted, right, going from a health system like Kaiser into Trusted Health, can you give the audience a sense of how disruptive Trusted is? What, what exactly do you all do and how are you making the uh, solving this nursing shortage? Yeah. So, um, I, you know, jumping from an $85 billion company like Kaiser to a startup is definitely a culture shock um, just from somebody who hasn't been in startups, but I absolutely love it. I think my ER background of just like self-diagnosed ADD it just works well in a startup because you do a million things. And so I've really enjoyed it. But Trusted is really focused on um, being a digital home for clinicians. So places like LinkedIn kind of miss the mark with healthcare clinicians, and they, they admit that fully. Um, so when you create a LinkedIn profile, it doesn't have all the stuff you need to get a job as a physician or a nurse or, or a care provider. You can't house your health docs on there and that kind of stuff. So uh, we built a platform that's free for anyone to sign up to actually house their professional life, their credentials, their licensure, all that kind of stuff just very easily. And then they can put in preferences, day shift, you know, places in the country they want to work, specialties, those type of things. And then we use that data to actually match them to uh, opportunities out in the world. And in the traditional sense of nurses finding jobs, it's been, really been a manual process with a recruiter at the front end. And we kind of flipped that model and said, you know, a lot of what recruiters do can be digitized with technology. And instead of putting a recruiter who may not have a medical background as your front door to your organization, we've actually put nurses who have stepped away from the 
the bedside as the front door to the organization. So as, when you sign up for Trusted and you're looking for a job, you're talking to another nurse who knows you about you, knows about your profession, and, and knows those nuances, those professional nuances to help you find the role that's best for you. And then the other piece is it we are very transparent. So instead of having to broker bill rates and, and, and pay structures and things with a recruiter, it's all transparent on our website. And because we put technology first, we can pay higher and charge less. And so we've created kind of this, this interesting dynamic of um, getting top quality talent cheaper, uh, more effectively to the hospital systems that need them. And especially through COVID, we are placing up to 200 nurses a week in COVID hotspots where um, other staffing agencies weren't coming close to that. So we have a really efficient model and it's been great. And uh, we have about 100,000 nurses or more on our platform now, even just using it to track their licenses, even if they're not interested in travel. And as we expand our service offerings, we're moving uh, quickly into uh, you know, other, other areas, including you know, home health and, and ambulatory care. Uh, we're even um, helping some production studios staff uh, clinicians onto their sites so they can resume filming and that kind of stuff. That's incredible. Um, very versatile. I had the opportunity to meet the co-founders, right? Lenny and Matt, um, who you work with um, at different events and uh, their background was at Hired, right? Was that the, the story? They met at Hired. Yep. Um, Lenny's a, a attorney by background and really wanted to do a startup and got into Hired and then uh, launched Trusted with that. Matt has a labor e- economics background, worked for a large executive search and staffing firm for a long time. And then they met at Hired, became really good friends and, and launched this into healthcare. Lenny's mom's actually a nurse. So he, he tells the story where uh, he, he, this is, this is an, uh, an homage to his mom saying, fix nursing. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. That's awesome. I, if I had a dime for every time my mom told me to fix something about healthcare, she's a physical therapist. Uh, yeah. I'd be able to fund the next startup to fix that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you know, you mentioned COVID. Obviously, that's the, the elephant in the room that's going to be with us for a while. How has COVID affected the demand for Trusted and how have you adjusted operations and working with healthcare systems? Yeah, I mean, it was really actually kind of an interesting time. So, um, I mean, for everybody, but but being in a startup that, you, you know, you start a startup on the verge of a pandemic and then potentially on the verge of a major recession. What I really enjoyed about the process is we we took it as an opportunity to change. And so, you know, in, in complex systems, chaos breeds innovation. I think the company really took that to heart. And we saw a spike of, I, I think there was over 15,000 jobs on our platform one week during the kind of height of COVID, which is just like 30x what we normally see. And then a couple of weeks later, it dropped to like below pre COVID because all the hospitals started clamping down on finances and all kinds of stuff. So it's been kind of this weird roller coaster. And in between that, we saw all kinds of trends like nurses being denied housing, you know, for travel assignments, cancellations from hospitals saying they need, you know, a thousand nurses and then only needing a hundred the next day. And just this weird, you could just see the lack of ability to forecast and plan by these facilities in needing the the workforce to treat uh, the patients they were seeing. And so we tried to help really quickly kind of revamp our entire processes and and just pivot uh, to be more efficient in getting nurses to the right place at the right time. And so we actually use it to grow the company and in some ways um, we were able to secure some new contracts and work with partners that in the past didn't see a need to work with us. So we actually were able to kind of build the baseline uh, and the foundation of the company and then and revamp our process to be more efficient because we had no other choice. So it was a benefit to us. And um, we saw that in, in being able to place nurses specifically in New York and, and Michigan uh, really quickly and in, in, in large numbers and, and hospital systems were able to get the people they need. 
that's great. Turning a crisis into an opportunity to become stronger, which is which is wonderful. So you also, I think the organization recently released a study on the impact of COVID-19 on frontline healthcare workers. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and, and what you found? Yeah, so we uh, we surveyed about 1,500 nurses across the country and asked them how are they being supported from a, a mental health standpoint, but through a crisis and then even just after the crisis. And what we found is the overwhelming majority said they didn't feel like the facilities they work for cared about their mental and physical well-being. And um, so that was kind of concerning. Uh, that was the first result that came out. And we asked them later down in the survey, you know, what's your commitment level to the profession of nursing? Are you going to leave it? Are you more committed than ever? Are you kind of lukewarm? And again, the majority said they were more committed to nursing than ever, which is good. But there's now a disconnect between how nurses feel they're being supported as employees and their commitment to the profession. And so we set out to try and um, reconcile that with the resources we had. And I'm faculty at Ohio State University College of Nursing. I reached out to the dean there, uh, Dr. Byrne Melnick, who is a mental health nurse practitioner and an amazing, she's on the US Preventative Task Force and all kinds of different things, just a really well-known leader. And we started talking about opportunities to support nurses on the front lines. And uh, she was able to leverage her faculty who are uh, nurse practitioner faculty to staff a support line that our frontline nurses could call. And if they were in crisis, stress, you know, whatever it was, they could call and talk to a health professional about what was going on and get some instant coping skills. And then we just last week uh, finished enrolling about 200 frontline nurses in what we call our wellness partner program, which is uh, a partnership with Ohio State and Trusted, where Ohio State is having their nurse practitioner students and their nurse practitioner faculty as health coaches for nurses on the front lines. And so that's a free program that we partnered with Ohio State on, and, and we enrolled over 200 nurses into that. So we tried to take that survey and actually do something about it. We, we made a small dent in that, and then we're trying to use it as a catalyst to have other organizations like American Nurses Association and others kind of follow suit and offer those resources back to the nurses they serve. That's incredible. You actually preempted my next question, which is about the mental health work. At Osmosis, we have an initiative called Care for Caregivers, because even in school, we realized that burnout and, and stress were, were pretty high. I mean, burnout now is called moral injury. And, um, how you know, it's not doesn't make any sense to train healthcare workers if they're just going to leave the profession. That's not good for the, them, their career. It's not good for patients, obviously. It's not good for the organization. So, switching gears to healthcare education, which is where we, we come at the problem from at Osmosis, you are one of the most highly educated nurses I've met in terms of, and clinicians in general, having you know gotten so much advanced degree training. What are things that you think need to change as far as how we do healthcare or nursing education? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. Um, I mean, first of all, I'm a huge fan of osmosis. Like I learned about what you guys are up to through Matt, Dr. Matt Silver at Kaiser. Um, I love it. I mean, I refer people to you all the time now. Um, so I think we need to do what you're doing, which is actually use learning theory to teach people. And, you know, I think what I see, and, and I've consulted all over the country at different nursing schools and everyone's at different levels, but, you know, what I see is we, we've taken old methods of like lecture and just digitized them. So instead of standing in front of the class with a chalkboard, we've just now created online classes with even more students and we're lecturing to them or, you know, we're um, using discussion boards as a caveat to in-group discussion, but it's, it's not really as valuable. And so I think we've just digitized the old way into the new way. And, and I think we need to overhaul that whole system and, and really use the principles of repetitive 
questioning and, and tie it back to board questions and, and have small snippets of information that are relevant and connected to where you're at in the whole kind of network of learning. And I think we need to move that way. In nursing, I think there's kind of two big gaps, actually three. The first one is technology hasn't made its way into the education of nurses coming into the workforce. We don't teach them about electronic medical records. We don't talk about things like butterfly ultrasound machines and how that could replace the stethoscope. And we, we don't go into the kind of these technologies that are going to be so disruptive to the practice of, of medicine and nursing in a way that allows nurses to understand how to incorporate machine-generated insights into their clinical decision-making. And so I think that's a big gap that needs to be shored up in, in education. I think the next piece is, you know, kind of disrupting the norms of how we teach clinical education and bringing in more of the immersive kind of virtual reality type things uh, where there's now emerging evidence saying you, you can teach an anatomy class in virtual reality six hours faster than you can using cadavers and get the same test outcomes. So, you know, I think we need to disrupt some of those traditions. And then the last piece is the idea of workforce. So I think we continue to train nurses to go into hospital settings when the workforce and, and healthcare is actually shifting into telehealth, home, ambulatory care settings. Hospitals will always be there, but I think there's all these other settings that are happening that we're just not training our clinicians to move into right out of school. And so I think there's a big gap there. Um, and so I think those are kind of the things that we need to just shore up and, and get some more content expertise in, or we're going to be preparing a workforce that needs to get retrained in the first two or three years of their career when they, when they get their first job. And it's just not an efficient way to grow your clinician base. Yeah, that, I mean, that's an incredibly succinct and I think accurate answer um, from what we're seeing too. We've had several uh, nursing leaders as guests on Raise Line before, including uh, Donna Meyer, who's the president and CEO of the Organization of Associate Degree Nursing. And she was saying some of the same things you were just now, especially because COVID revealed that, hey, when hospitals have to shut down any elective procedures, your clinical placements and training quickly dries up. And so we need a way to get people who are almost ready to complete their training to be trained up and, and you've run simulation centers, you've built several. So that's definitely something that um, is of interest. The second person who comes to mind is uh, Adele Webb, who's a nurse leader. She runs Capella SEI. And we had her on and she said some very interesting things also that align with what you were saying. We've actually also just launched a course with them uh, on nurse leadership development uh, that the Cleveland Clinic is piloting right now. Um, so going back to COVID, uh, you know, you fast forward three or five years, we, we all think this pandemic's accelerated some things and some things are here to stay. What are some of the big changes that are going to happen to the healthcare system that are going to be lasting, you think, as a result of this pandemic? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. I mean, uh, you're right. It, it's shown all the cracks in the system. And I think the biggest disservice we could give back to the country as just healthcare workers is to go back to the pre-COVID landscape. I think there's a lot of things that um, can be improved. I think what's going to stick around, uh, I think telehealth is now solidified as a modality and a specialty. And I, I see a lot of that um, continuing to happen. But I think, you know, hospitals are starting to question their workforce as well. So we saw a lot of furloughs and layoffs and all kinds of stuff. But the reason is, you know, the, the old model of hiring people in has been, well, I'm going to hire, you know, 150 nurses into this unit and they're mine and they can't work anywhere else. And they're only going to work three days a week. And it's just an inefficient way to like use a person's time and, and manage a workforce. So I think we're going to see more flexible workforce, um, more dynamic shifts and, and prediction around, you know, what they actually need versus what they have. And I think we'll see some of that. And I think the generation coming into healthcare is um, also not looking to go, you know, work for somewhere for 30 years and get a pension 
and pensions are going away. And so I think just having a more flexible workforce in local areas, I think will be something we'll see as well. And I really think the idea of just a better ability to forecast needs is going to have to emerge from this. I mean, the reaction of some of these health systems and their stated needs versus their actual needs was so off that we just can't move forward with this midnight census model of figuring out how many people you need to work on a given day. Um, And so I think there's going to be a lot of workforce innovation that happens there. And then I think the last piece is I think clinicians kind of found their voice. It's the year of the nurse. Um, There's been a lot of social media around um, physicians and nurses and other care providers and and how they were treated during COVID. And so I think there's going to be a shift of not letting that happen again and actually you know, kind of clinicians leading the charge and stepping up and making some of these changes and not waiting for big health system executives to make those decisions. I also hope that's true and uh, something we'll be advocating for, for sure. Part of the reason I like asking this question is that it leads into the next question uh, and final question, given that we're running up in time, which is given that we have so many early stage uh, healthcare professionals in our audience at Osmosis, what's your advice to them about meeting the challenges of this moment and approaching their career in healthcare? Yeah, I think double down on it. I think um, I'm super excited about the next generation of leaders and healthcare professionals that are coming in. I think they're being trained in a way that's different with you know interprofessional education being a forefront, um, better learning, virtual reality. So you're, you're going to be coming out of your training light years ahead of your mentors. And so love and own that. And then, you know, I think hone your skills in leadership. I think you'll, you'll get a lot of training in your clinical decision-making and, and, you know, that's the core of, of what you're going to be doing, but all that leadership training um, that you can do on the side or, or that you kind of buzz over because it's not on the boards, I think kind of dive into that. And because that's going to be your differentiator. And I think if you can build up that leadership skill, the sky's the limit. And so I would say if you're finishing school or just about to finish school and enter the workforce, leadership is your differentiator. Own that. And um, the the better team you can build around you, the more successful that you will be and, and your clinical practice will be. Well, Dan, this was fascinating. Great. Really, really one of my favorite Raise Line interviews, uh, all the things you covered and the experience you bring to it. Um, very impressed with the work that you and the trusted team are doing. I hope, hope you guys continue to see a lot of the success that you are. Um, so thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. Yeah, thanks, Chip. Really appreciate it. And um, I love osmosis. So uh, yeah, thanks for all the stuff you do as well. Thank you. And so with that, I'm Chip Uglani. Thanks for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.